Um, we are here in fighting fairly and um, forgiving freely and quickly. And for me, that can be, I think, some of the hardest matter that we have to deal with as moms. So I'm Jeannie. I have five kids. I have a senior in high school, um, sophomore in high school, freshman in high school, all girls. And we got into it this morning about what she was wearing and wearing leggings that didn't have anything over her bottom this morning. So it all goes round and round um, all the time. And then I have, um, those are three girls, and I have seventh grade boy, and then I have a little fifth grade girl, 10 years old, Lucy. And so a lot of hormones in our house, a lot of estrogen, to say the least, and it is all out all the time. And just so you know, because this will infuse, we are struggling mightily with our oldest. You know, we've raised her to know and love and serve Jesus, and she's been baptized and accepted it, been to Haiti 16 times, and Camp Barnabas, every camp that Watermark's ever done. And she is choosing to walk away from the Lord right now and just wants to write her own script. And so there's a lot of this that is so pertinent to me because you will see it come in cycles with your kids. You'll see you wrestle with a kid for a while and then you'll hit smooth water and then you'll wrestle with a kid for a while and then you'll watch them wrestle with each other different ways. So as we get started, let's go around. We're small enough. Introduce yourself. Tell me your name and how many kids you have. And you know, maybe you're, if you were to say, okay, what's my, my, just two or three words on my hot topic today, I'd really walk away, love to walk away having a handle on this. What would you say? Hi, I'm Bonnie. I have two kids. I have a boy that's three and a half, and I have a girl that's almost two. Okay. To the spring. All right. You know what I may do? I may turn this off for just a second. Here we go. So, this is going to be more of just an open discussion, which I was hoping for. So you guys hop in at any point in time if something doesn't make sense. Um, conflict takes time, it's messy, and it's constant. And I think the biggest lie that we can buy ourselves is that we don't expect it. We expect to kind of ride it one time, but it's almost like a house that was going to get perpetually dirty. It's going to happen. And um, I really felt my modus apparatus or whatever it is, if I can explain something well enough, it's just going to take care of itself and go away. I might have to do it two or three times, but then you're not, and you're coaching as a mom all day long, and you're really coaching their hearts, you're coaching conflict, and we have to be prepared, and we have to look at it as if it's our daily workout. But for a lot of us, like for me, I got up and did Camp Gladiator this morning, and I'm done with my workout. Go home, get cleaned up, and I'm done for the day, right? But with conflict, it's not so. It's always there, always coming back. Have you guys heard that Francesca Batiste, how do you say her name, her song, Before the Crazy Kicks In? I love it. And you will hear me interlace a lot of songs because songs keep me sane. And there are times when I need to cry. There are times when I need to yell. There are times when I need to scream. And if I can play one of these songs, it gets me back on track. And Before the Crazy Kicks In is um, actually a song that my daughter made me a birthday CD, and she put it on there. I didn't even know the song was out there. And I'm like, yes, you know, here I go. I've got to get centered on Christ. So expect it. So your mindset every day is, I am a soldier for Christ. I'm going into battle with and, with and for my kids, hopefully before them in prayer. And I think one of the best ways you can do that is this book. If you don't have it, get it. It's Praying the Scriptures for Your Child. And it's kind of the new Stormy on Martian book. And it is Jody, J-O-D-I-E, Burnt, B-E-R-N-D-T. 
praying the scriptures for your children. And it has got one for praying the scripture for your teens and then for your adult children. And she just teaches you to give you a short little devotion that will fire you up about prayer. You don't have to read that every time. But then she just comes in and gives you scripture to pray over them. So if you're really worried about their physical health and safety, say you've decided to let your child play tackle football and you thought you never would, you know, you insert their name in those blanks, in those scriptures you're praying over. And I would really strongly encourage you, another dose of sanity for me, especially in conflict, is having a mom's in prayer group. And so gather a couple of girls on your street, in your neighborhood, in your preschool, and say, hey, just throw it out there and be vulnerable and say, would any of you like to come to my house once a month, once a week, and just pray for our kids? And Moms in Prayer has a website that will give you um, a prayer sheet with scripture that you can insert their names in and pray. And it is very, it's my sanity. Those groups that I have during the week for each of my kids, um, I do not think I would still be in the game without those prayer groups. And it's just not very big, but we do pray often and we pray over the word. What was her last name? Um, Burnt, B-E-R-N-D-T. Um, in Genesis 6, in 5 and 7, we see the first do-over. And we see God really becoming so sad and grieved by our conflicts and the way we think about ourselves constantly that he decided to have a do-over. And I want to read that because as I was reading, we're starting to read through the Bible with my family this year. I wanted, um, I was, it was so neat to see this through my kids' eyes in a different way because we camped on it a little bit longer than we normally would have about how God felt about what was going on. And it says in chapter 6, verse 5 of Genesis, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made the human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And I know each of us have probably been in a spot with our kids where I'm like, I regret that I made this decision. Why, what am I doing here? Why am I here? It's hard. It's really hard. And so... It gives me great comfort to know that when God became aware that every inclination of our hearts are evil all the time, there was regret there. But he was faithful, and he stayed in the game. And he preserved Noah, and he preserved his promise that he would redeem us and bring us back and set us up through Christ. And because of his faithfulness, we're here today. And we're sitting in a circle talking about him, talking about his word. You know, he didn't just scratch earth and go start again on Jupiter. Stay faithful to us. And we with our kids, there are going to be days when you're like, I regret that I made you. And every inclination of your heart is evil all the time. You only want to please yourself, and it's all about you. You know, and so I take great comfort knowing that apart from Christ, every inclination of their hearts is only evil all the time. And if we go into life believing that our kids are not that way, they're not born that way, that they somehow come out different and the world taints them or we scar them or whatever, I think we're in for a rude awakening. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. We don't have to teach them to lie. We don't have to teach them to talk back. You know, we train them and we show them a different way. But that, so just know it's part of life. I'm sure you guys got that or you wouldn't be here. Um, one of the neatest insights that I ever got, and this came from Give Them Grace. I will reference books all the way through, which is written by a mother-daughter team, um, is that You've got to understand, because of that, you are most likely, especially with your pre-K kids, approaching an unregenerate heart who really, truly believes it's their kingdom come, their will be done on earth. They don't even know about heaven yet. 
Now you're teaching them about heaven, but many times our conflict with our kids comes and their conflict comes. Um, we'll talk about a Game of Thrones later, but because we expect regenerate behavior out of unregenerate children. Do you know what that means? Like when your heart's been made new and Christ has come in, you have a new master. You're not living to please yourself. You're living to please him. You work as a team. And you know that you're a part of a body. You need to work together. If your right foot and left foot start arguing, you're not going to get very far, right, about which direction to go. Our kids are not that way. So I just see them as they're all little owl factories and they're little... Um, they're little selfish little kings, little terrorists. And one dad said in Sunday school the other week, they're terrorists until they're not. And that's just the way it is. And we don't negotiate with terrorists, but we want to point them towards Christ, teach them to love each other well. Expectations are everything. And one of the big ahas for me with conflict was um, I was expecting regenerate behavior, new behavior, <coughs> new creature in Christ behavior out of a creature that hadn't accepted and acknowledged Christ as Lord yet. So how do you train them when they're not there yet? And that's where each of us are normally with a preschooler. They can know about God, but have they fully surrendered to God? But we're expecting them to act like they are. So we give them grace. And so grace comes in every situation you're in with your child. And this has been money for me. You are the father. You're trying to maintain patience, composure, kindness. As you look at the prodigal in the situation, the one who has been the offender, and as you look at the self-righteous older brother, the one who caught them doing something they shouldn't do, um, the one who's been wounded, the victim as such, and you're trying to get each of them to own their part because each of them are actually in sin. You know, the prodigal has chosen to go his own ways, chose to hit, chose to scream, chose to use unkind words because he wanted what he wanted. And then you have lots of times the victim or the self-righteous child is going, I didn't deserve that, um, he was wrong, you know, what... You know, I, I want vindication. And so you want to learn to approach each child and say, hey, there's sin in both your hearts. Not that, you know, a child ever deserves to be hit or pushed down or anything, but you want to make sure that pride doesn't set up in the one that is always wronged and then hold self-defeatist attitude of I'm always wrong, I'm never right, set up in the one that's usually the one that's, that's inflicting the pain. But in every situation, every day, try to ask yourself, with my kids as they're fighting, who's kind of being the self-righteous older brother, who's being, um, and they can tend to be very condescending, especially when they're the oldest, who's being the prodigal, who's wanting to set up his own kingdom and run his own way. Um, we talk about this, with, we talk about a game of thrones, and I, um, I'll draw this up here for you, but illustrations I've found are very helpful. Some kids are visual learners, some kids are, um, you know, they can hear it, but I think if you can sit your kids down, get them to slow down, kind of center and get in touch, take it, take their eyes off them, we'll talk about this all the way through, and get it to be a story, then they can see it. And so draw a big heart, you know, or draw two hearts if you want to with your kids, and there is a throne on, in each heart, there's a throne. And who is on that throne? And when you accept Christ into your heart and you want to please him, then everybody in the room wants to please him. And you say, hey, I'm here to please him. But when you are on the throne of your heart, you know, when you choose to put yourself on this throne, then you are probably not going to have a lot of people in your world that say, hey, I want to bow down and serve Jesus. I want to make her queen. 
You know, I want to do everything I can to make her happy. That's not the way it's going to work. And so a lot of what I see with my kids is they're talking like they're in charge. That's a phrase we use a lot. And they're also wanting people to do it their way. How can I get people to do it my way? And one of the most helpful things for me is to talk about it like a game of thumbs and to say, hey, you, yes, you had the toy first. This is your kingdom. These are your little people. These are whatever. But we are, um, how do you want people to behave? And if we can do it like Jesus would say do it, then we're putting others' interests above their own. Help them see that we are, um, who's in charge and who are you living to please? And so we've been, I've been memorizing Romans 8 again because I'm doing um, a study on Romans this year, and it's just been so good. And this, this perfectly describes the senior all the way down to the 10-year-old in my house. In Romans 8, 5 through 8, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset, which is where we'll end on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And so that's where is you just realize, hey, I'm looking at his heart. He's struggling mightily to be on the throne and make everybody bow down to him. He's talking like he's in charge. Own that and help them own it. You know, sit down and go, are you really trying to get, you just think of your oldest right now. Are you really trying to get everybody to comply to your wishes? Have you once stopped and asked me, you know, what, how do you think you should approach this? Or have you stopped and taken everybody else's interest into account? You're trying to establish your own authority. And I think when we can acknowledge that um, in a kid and get a kid to go, yeah, I'm trying to get everybody to make it all about me, especially with those oldest, it really helps. One of my, my oldest, I let her have a sleepover one time, and she had the girl, um, and played with the girl from after school on Friday all the way through Saturday morning. And she wanted to stop, and the little girl wanted to actually play with Sydney, my next little girl. And they identified, you know, they were actually a lot more alike than the, the, the girl that she was spending the night with. So Abby actually wanted to braid Sydney's hair. And Caitlin came in, flopped on the bed. I mean, I would have thought Abby would have struck her across the face. And she was so upset. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, Abby wants to play with Sydney. She wants to braid her hair. And I'm like, well, let's step back and look at this. You have been with Abby almost 24 hours. Really 24 hours because they had been in school all day together. Is it wrong for Abby to maybe want to play with Sydney a little bit? But it's my play date and she's here to play with me. And I didn't invite her over to play with Sydney and you need to make Sydney go away and blah, blah, blah. And you just see, you can just start to have those conversations of, hey, you know, if you're putting Abby's interest above your own, which is the way, you know, life works. Have you, did you ask Abby one at one point in time in the last, you know, 12 hours, hey, what would you like to do? She's like, no. And I'm like, have you asked her what she'd like to play, you know, or what? No. She, she just had her agenda. And she was trying to try to do it. Does anybody have a kid like that mm-hmm. that just wants to rule? And, and you, it, it can be firstborn. It doesn't have to be, but they've got an agenda. And I think if you can do this illustration with them and have them draw their little heart and go, hey, now, you don't want to exalt man. You don't want to become a man pleaser. You want to be a God pleaser. And a Christ pleaser, when you, you know, the, the stars tend to line up if everybody's looking at it and say, hey. And another thing that I try to do with them here is go good, better, best. What would be a good thing to do? Say little sister or little brother wants to come along and say they want to play with this toy. A good thing would be to go, hey, you can't play with this because I'm playing with this baby doll now. 
But let me go find you one. Let me go find you something else to play with. A better thing to do would be to go, hey, I'm playing with them now, but in about five minutes we'll take turns and I'll let you hold them. You can pretend to be, you know, the friend that's come over, we'll play together and we'll share. The best thing you could do, and not just to give in to the child, is go, hey, you know what? I would love for you to hold the baby. That'd be great. And then you go get, you know, something else to play with because what you're going to find is what you're playing with, they really want to play with you. They probably really want to engage you. And so then you'll come to see, hey, let's play together. And teach them in each situation to find a good, better, best. And to not shame them into having to do that, but are you going to choose to put yourself first? It's perfectly fine to say, and this is contrary, my friend Shelly Gertz and I have gone around and around about this for years, <clears throat> but I think it helps you get to the heart. We don't make our kids share. It is perfectly fine for you to say no. I think we live in a culture when we're taught to always give up in a Christian culture, always say yes, always acquiesce, that then as they get older, and if you have girls, they go out on dates, they you know, get in situations on the playground where they don't want to do what they're being asked to do. It's hard to learn to say no appropriately. So I think you need to give your kids. My understanding is, and Shelly was a big Starbucks lover, and every afternoon she'd run and get Starbucks. And so one afternoon when we were going head to head about this, I said, hey, what if I came up to you and you just timed your whole day and worked it around where you got to make your Starbucks run? And I said, hey, Shelly, I want that. Can I have that? What would you say? You'd be like, no, get your own. You know, or I might let you have a sip, but no, you can't have it. And I'm like, why do we let our kids come up and demand the baby doll or demand the blocks or just because they're younger and they don't understand, give them rights? We need to teach a child to say no appropriately and to come up with an alternative, better, you know, good, better, best. And then we need to teach a child to receive no, maybe later. Does that make Do sense? Do you have a little, for that, everything you're talking about for like a two or a three-year-old, kind of like a little nugget to prime maybe the heart conversation with later because I definitely struggle with my two-year-old wanting to be the, the ruler and I don't know how to talk to her about that yet. Yeah, just I think a lot of it is role playing, mm -hmm. and we'll get into the storytelling, teaching them to ask appropriately. A two-year-old is just <coughs> driven by their carnal flesh, mm -hmm. their desires, their whatever, and can be really demanding. And I think if you let that demandingness take over, that's where your workout of the day is going. It's not breaking their will, but of helping them learn to ask appropriately. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do think that you put on your game face every day to go, remind me what her name is? Olivia. Olivia, just to say, Olivia, you know, we're gonna work today, you get ahead of it. I, love does not demand its own way is the verse that I would drill down on from, um, it's from Romans 12. And I would just say, hey, Olivia, we're gonna practice on putting others first today and not demanding our own way. Because, um, you know, you, the whole idea of you get, <laughs> I love this illustration. There are two ways to crack an egg open. You crack it and break it, shatter it, or you boil it until the pieces fall off. And you wanna love people and warm people up. I mean, this is kinda of like how to win friends and influence people, but this is the way your pagan's minds work. Um, how do you want to love them well enough that they want to share with you mm -hmm. and they want to do what you want them to do? Jesus, his loving kindness leads us to a point of repentance. But and I don't feel like you're teaching manipulation there. You're just teaching them that you'll get a lot more bees, you know, or flies with honey than you will with mm -hmm. salt. And mm -hmm. so you can crack it and you can try to make it happen. Not going to work. And I do believe you start talking that language early. But you're, you're wanting, you know... Another book that I think is really fun to read with them starting early is there's a 
um, illustrated lion, witch, in the wardrobe. And my oldest, who tends to be the demanding one in our family, wanted to decorate her room like the white witch. She was, you know, what's her name? Jadis? Was that her name? I think it was Jadis. Was the white witch. And she, um, when we moved into the house we're in now, she wanted a white sparkly sleigh bed, sparkly white um, paint on the walls, and a little fake horse set up there so she could be the white witch in her sleigh. Mm -hmm. And she loved the fact that she ruled. And so you just saw her heart really quickly that that's mm -hmm. who she wanted to be. Um, I don't know if that helps, Jackie. Yeah, no, that I do does. think the conversation and making it, I, and I will pull back and say here, you'll hear this all the way through, role play. You have to get their eyes off themselves and put it on, get two of her baby dolls. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about, when we're talking about a weenie, Care Bears are really good. Um, you can do little people. You can do anything that you tell them a story and act how they act in the story. And then you preempt a lot of these conversations by role-playing with them and going, this is how we go about doing this. Well, how do you think they felt when she did this? And they take their eyes off themselves and they can objectify the situation. They learn a lot better. Um, the power of confession. These are tools we're going to get into here is with a little bit more of your conversation with kids. Um, you guys have heard me tell, I think, a lot of you the first John 1, 9 story. But when I came to uh, put my huge sin, walk away from Jesus, do my own thing in the light, the lady that walked me through it took a piece of paper and she wrote down everything that I did. I confessed to a mentor, a girl I babysat for, I just couldn't carry it around anymore. Put it down and she wrote it all down in black ink. And then at the end, finally after about an hour and a half of pouring my heart out, she's like, is there anything else? And I said, no, I think that's it. I think that's, I've gotten it off my chest. And she took out a big red Sharpie and she wrote 1 John 1, 9 over it and tore it up and threw it away. And she says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then she taught me the James verse that says, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed in James 5. So your sins are forgiven. I walked out of her house Claritin clear. I felt so free and so light because I confessed my sins and been forgiven. And she's like, I want you to go back to everybody you lied to and I want you to make it right. And so the hardest person to go back to was my mom, you know, because I'd lied about a relationship and hidden it up and covered it, thought I'd lied about it and gotten away with it. And I went back, and she was the last person I went to, sat down with her, um, fully expecting that if she knew the whole truth, she wouldn't love me. And um, our, would, our relationship would change. And she said, Jeannie, I knew what you did, and I knew when you stopped, and I forgave you then. And I got grace that day in a way that I just had never understood. There is power in confession. And leading your children gently and often to a place of confession is what you want to get to. I want to be in charge of my life. And don't shame them. You shouldn't. Jesus died to save you. You should always live to please Jesus. I want you girls to learn to say, me too. Me too. I want to rule. I want to tell Dad what he needs to do. I want to, I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to go where I want to go. Me too. Mm -hmm. And let them confess to you. Get them to the point of saying, I really want to rule. I want to be in charge. Olivia has got to understand, me too. A woman's desire will be for her husband, and he'll rule over her. We live in a world where submission, which is what Kathy's talking about next door, is just part of the game. Um, how many of you have been through foundation groups after you got married? Lasting Promise is a book we should read often mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. And so about every five years, John and I have committed to go back through that book. Thankfully, we've been involved in a community group and foundation group that agrees often enough that we need to go through it. But they teach you in this book 
about the four ways, the four items, and we'll go back over it because it so applies with your kids. You see these patterns develop early where if you don't get a, nip this in the bud, if you could nip it in the bud with your kid, you will make for better marriages and better relationships later. And the way the Stanleys pointed in the book is that when you're in conflict, they identified four patterns that will destroy a marriage if left unchecked. And so when you get into it with somebody, um, you will either tend to withdraw and just go, fine, that's the way you're going to be, I'm just nothing, and you go on like you're fine. You escalate, withdraw is more of a passive reaction, you just kind of sit back, fine, that's the way you're going to do it, that's the way we're going to play the game, good, won't have anything else to do with you, I nothing you, is what my sister and I call it. And then you have the escalation, where you just, you just see the eruption, and how many of you would say, if you think about your kids, do you have an eruptor, one who just loses their marbles <laughs> yes. every time they don't get their way? And so that is a pattern that is destructive, but they're acting out where the withdrawal may be erupting, having the volcano going on the inside, but they're just sitting there like they're fine. Mm -hmm. Equally deadly. But one is very active, one is very passive. The next one is negative interpretation. Oh, mommy didn't let me have ice cream at lunch today because she doesn't like me. She doesn't love me. Because I, I saw her let sister have ice cream who might have just happened to got her tonsils out, so. She can only eat ice cream, but that doesn't matter. If mommy loved me, she would let me have ice cream. If my husband loved me, he would come home from work on time for dinner and help me put the kids to bed. Um, if God loved me, then whatever, fill in the blank. You know, my mom and dad wouldn't treat me the way they do. I would, I would look this way. I would have this much. I would, um, you know, whatever you insert in the blank. We just negatively interpret when we don't get what we want or when there's conflict, that it's our fault, that we've done something wrong, that I'm not lovable, I'm not likable, God's punishing me, you know? Um, my husband didn't get that job because we didn't pray hard enough. You just start to assign motive. And like for John, for me, um, and my husband especially, he, I negatively interpret so much of him not wanting to, not thinking the idea I have, which I have 15,000 a day is a good idea, not interpreting me as right all the time, because I'm wrong but never in doubt that I actually am right, <laughs> um, as, as he doesn't love me. You know, or if, and so many times when you correct your child or there's conflict and you tell them they've done something wrong, sometimes their heart is, I'm worthless. I don't matter to you. And so you might have a negative interpret. I tend to withdraw and then negatively interpret and say, well, if, you know, if he loved me, he would understand why I bought that gift for that person. And clearly he's not a gift giver and he thinks I'm an idiot and I can't handle money and blah, blah, blah. And off I go. I'm assigning, I'm putting words in his mouth. And so many of our fights have ended in, look, Jenny, you know what I think already and you're telling me what I think, so let's just stop the conversation. Because I'm assigning motive. I'm telling him why he did what he did and why he, didn't do with his ten, sin tends to be more of omission but I'm assigning mode so I can go along there because that's my favorite suit and then um, I is invalidate it's when you really do you shouldn't feel that way oh it doesn't hurt that bad you fell down and got a boo-boo it doesn't hurt that bad and the best tool of the trade that I have I've just went to work back in preschool at PCPC the whole brain child have you guys read this mm -mm. it is if you don't do anything after this, A, get the praying scripture for your children. This book has literally tactics that work. It's working on our team right now. Because we're reading this book, the team that I'm on at work is really able to get into some interpretation of how we work together. In fact, I was telling Lindsay earlier, it's just been dynamite. 
Um, but it gives you 12, I think it says, yeah, there's another, I'm thinking about the parenting book that's 16, but the 12 really timeless tactics, and that's a lot of what we're going to unpack here today about how to kind of get to the root of the conflict. It's so good, um, but it's, it, it's very helpful, very practical, has cartoons in there you can read through with your kids to help them understand what they're doing. But you want to be a team player. I would really strongly encourage you to, for conflict resolution purposes, go to Build-A-Bear. Okay, this is an assignment. It might be a little expensive. It might be more of a birthday present. Build two bears. It doesn't have to be expensive. But one is your weenie bear. Okay? And you and your kids pick out the weenie bear. The weenie bear withdraws. The weenie bear throws a fit. The weenie bear negatively interprets everything that said, I didn't get invited to your birthday party, so you're not my best friend. And the weenie bear says all the time, that's stupid. Why do you feel that way? Okay? And let them pick the weenie bear. Okay? Then the other bear is a team player. We maybe decorate this one like, you know, whatever their favorite team, whatever. This person is going to do the opposite of that. Instead of withdrawing when there's a conflict, they're going to move towards the person. Okay, so that's the T in team. You're going to move together. You're going to work together to work it out. Because what Satan comes to do is steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide us. And I give you very practical things because kids love toys. And so when you get in this conflict resolution and you have your little bears and maybe you find a little throne at Build-A-Bear, they have this little chair that kind of looks like a throne, and you sit them on the throne and go, who's in charge? You know, these people are yin-yanging over who's going to be sitting, who's large and in charge. And you act it out and role play it with them. Um, e is instead of escalate, okay, you want to be an encourager. Oh, man, I can tell that really... You know, you want to engage in conversations. You want to enlighten people with what's really going on in your heart. There's all sorts of ease you can put in here, but you want to engage in an encouraging way. I want to know what you feel. I want to know what you think. But you, we just need to have a little bit of self-control and moderation. And what I, this is where, to me, with the escalator, especially the do-over comes in. You have to give them a chance to go back and do it the right way. Now, I watched you throw a tissy fit over that because I said, no, we're not going to the park today. We're actually going to stay here and do chores or whatever. I want you to go back out of the room, and I want you to come back in. And I want you to say, Mom, can we go to the park? And then you say, no, honey, today we've got to do chores, and I want you to go, okay, Mom, maybe later. And I don't want you to lay down on the floor and throw a fit. Mm -hmm. Okay, now what this will teach you at the stage you're at, they are all emotional basket cases. The right brain and left brain aren't connected. The upstairs and the downstairs where they really can't get to a logical point. So teaching them to master that tidal wave and giving them words, I know you really want to go to the park. I would love that. We could fly a kite. We could play ball, blah, blah, blah. Um, teaching them and engaging them in conversation helps them milk that emotion. Do you always give them that second, like, redo, do it over, or is there like, an immediate discipline? Um, after I know they know how. Mm -hmm. So when you see Olivia come in and you see she's not getting what she wants for lunch and she throws a fit. Like it's in the manipulation like when it's like done in manipulation. Right. Well, that and that, you know, some some kids you will see the Kegler talks about with his twins. One, you told them once or twice they got it. Sometimes they'll go to the wall 50 times. And so, but I do. I think that we, we, we learn kind of the habits. Excellence is not a thought or an attitude, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do practice. That's who we become. And so I think giving them the chance to do it over is not always showing mercy. 
even if there is a consequence, I think there's a certain amount of restitution for the child in being able to do it over. Now you came up and you interrupted mom, or you know that's not the way we do things, or you told me that lunch tastes like vomit. Be <laughs> thankful I had that happen for what we eat. So here's the consequence, but now I want you to show me that you can do it the right way. There's just a part of your stage of the game of really rehearsing, you know, um, not a fake it till you make it, but letting them do it the right way. Don't and show them how. Maybe you model for them. You know, this is how that looked. This is how that felt. Is that who you want to be? Mm -hmm. Let them see it. Is that what you're asking? So I think yeah. after a while, when you know they know the right answer, um, then there can be an immediate consequence. And and so sorry, you just lost that privilege, or we're not going to do that. But or maybe you don't get to eat lunch because you know you're not starving, and this is pretty good stuff. And I'll eat it because that's what I tend to do. I'll eat your lunch for you. Um, there's, but I do think the Build-A-Bear thing helps. It helps them objectify the conflict, and it shows them a right way, wrong way, act out right way, wrong way. Um, the A, instead of negatively interpret it, is ask. Okay? Don't assume. When we negatively interpret it, most of the time we're making assumptions that aren't based on facts. They're based on feelings and impressions. So A in team is ask and don't assume. And then M is when you tend to invalidate, is, is really um, make an effort to understand. Don't, M to me, there wasn't really to me a good word, but you want to really motivate them to really seek to understand versus just automatically assuming that everybody is like them. Okay, you want them to say, how do you think they feel? How do you think you know this person feels to make a move towards understanding versus just automatically um, thinking everybody is like you? And, and with the Build-A-Bears, you really can, again, hear me say over and over, I see it in this book, storytelling is huge. We'll get into a conflict um, later on with, with David and Nathan where he objectified the adultery, and that really helped. Um, the four square inventory. This has been money. There's a, there is a um, seminar that Kathy Jeffries does. I think you can get it out there. It's probably out there on YouTube somewhere recorded called The Wounded Spirit. And it talks about how a lot of our kids will physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally get into a suicidal state. Because they can tank emotionally and not kill themselves. They can just go dead. You can physically kill yourself. And you can mentally just check out. Um, spiritually, you can definitely abandon God. And she said the way that she approaches the heart, which is another image of the heart, is like a chest of drawers. And every day you look at your child and go, honey, is there anything mommy's done today that wounded your heart? And you teach them to take an inventory. Okay? Now, an inventory, and you draw this on your paper, has four squares. So across the top, you put you and others. And down the side, you put resents and regrets. Then I'll draw it up here for you. And so... A resent, you can resent, just if you start with yourself, you can say, okay, I resent, there's you, and then there's others. And then there's regret, and then there's resent. Okay, you will resent something, oh, sorry, 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 this is not right. You and others, this is what, um, Put did and did not. Am I getting this right, Lindsay? I'm not good with graphs. 
have no idea about so this. So you genie. regret you regret what you did or did not do. So this is you. So the regret is you. This is where you goes, and the resentment is others. Okay. So you say I regret that I did slap my sister. Okay. You regret that I did not do my chores. That's on you. The resentment comes in terms of others. What did somebody do not do today? that really made you sad? What do you resent? And you teach them omission and commission. So did is a, some, somebody committed a sin. Did not is where they omitted. They didn't do something. Well, I told my best friend to save me a seat at the lunch table, and they didn't. And it really made me sad because then I had to sit by myself or I had to sit with people I didn't know. Or somebody told me that when they got done playing with that toy in five minutes, they'd give it to me, and then we had to go, and so I never got my turn, and I really resent that. And you teach them to unpack it. Don't judge. Don't just let them scratch their back. This is a great bedtime conversation. Did anybody wound your heart today? Do you think you wounded anybody's heart today? What did you do that you regret? What did you not do? You know, my my new girl came into class, and, and I told her I'd save her a seat at lunch, and then I forgot, and I didn't. Or I told brother that I'd let him have my toy after I got done playing with it, and I didn't. And then you teach him forgiveness. And I'm, of all the tools that I give you today, that one, teaching a child to take an inventory, and as they grow up, when they fight, when they get in big squabbles, you can take this and you can give them a plain piece of paper, and you can say, I want you to go away, and I want you to draw a picture about what happened. Okay? Draw a picture. Let me know what happened. And then as they get older, they can use words. Talk, talk about how you feel. Talk about what was your responsibility in this situation. What do you regret that you did or didn't do? Okay? And only after they're able to own their stuff, which is, I mean, guys, this could keep people out of region if they learn to do this now. Right? Only after you've dealt with your regret, then deal with what you resent. Because it's so easy for them to point the finger, you did, you didn't. But it's so hard to look at yourself and become aware, acknowledge, and take action. So you're teaching them to take an inventory. And you can do this at a very young age. But it all starts with you being willing to own your own stuff. What did mommy do that didn't, you know, that hurt your heart today? Um, and how did that make you feel? And, and I really think that's where um, we, could, we could get towards a lot of health with people. And when you see, it says um, in Proverbs 18, hey there, we're not going to read through all of the Proverbs, but um, a fool mocks at making amends. You know, um, there are so many things in Proverbs 18 as you read through it that fit into this four square inventory. And, and um, words hold the power of life and death. There are so many um Parts that if you will allow, as I was putting this talk together, I try to read through a proverb um, a day, and on Proverbs 18, I should have written the references. I thought I would for sure remember what they, um, which ones, but read through Proverbs 18. There's a lot to back up that if you, you know, your confession and you're putting that stuff out there. Now, the power of a story, all of us know, maybe some of us, maybe not all of us. 2 Samuel 12 talks about, this is a, a theme and whole brain child to connect and redirect. When you have a child in great conflict, you have to be able to teach them. What's your oldest child's name? Paige. Paige. You have to teach Paige to disconnect, disengage from the actual conflict, and they go back to more of a sedate state, and then you can put them in a place of understanding. Because when she's out of control, when Paige is out of control, her survival instincts are kicking in, maybe she's hungry, angry, lonely, tired, 
you want to get her to that upstairs brain part of her body where she can think rationally. And children at a young age normally aren't capable of that, but you train them to that. So one of the ways to do it is telling them a story. Can I tell you about a story when something happened? And when you see this happen in scriptures, when David, Nathan goes to confront David about stealing Bathsheba from Uriah. And he doesn't go in loud and proud. He goes, let me tell you a story about a man who had one little sheep and a man who had thousands of sheep. And the man who had thousands took the little man's sheep who had one who was actually like a child to him and ate it and sacrificed it. What do you think should be done to that man? David's like, he should be strung up. Can't believe that happened. And then David was able to go, or Nathan was, that man was you. You took Uriah's wife, and you have all the women in the world. And David was so convicted. And so there's power in being able to objectify it. And it worked magic for me at homecoming. Now, it didn't keep my daughter from going out and doing everything she wanted to do. We, she wanted to go out with a bunch of people that we didn't know and love and trust. Didn't even know their names, didn't know their last names, and didn't know their mom and dad. And she wanted to go away for the weekend with them. So I said, look, you're going to have to bring these people over. I'm going to have to meet them before I can even consider you just going to the dance with them. So she invited them over for dinner. I made it her favorite dinner. We all sat down to dinner, and I started talking to one of the guys. And I said, tell me what you love to do. He loves to fish. He's on the bass team. So I said, oh, do you have a boat? And he's like, yes. I love and you. just saw him line up. I love my boat. My granddad and I built our boat together. And then my granddad died halfway through building the boat. But I got to finish it, and it was one he had had that we fixed up, and so it's a real special bond. I said, that is so cool. Tell me about your boat. So he told me about all the bells and whistles. And I said, now, my boy Jay, he's 12 at this time. He loves to fish. Do you think he could take that boat out for a spin? And he's like, well, no, ma'am. I wouldn't let him do that. I'm like, okay, well, what if he said... He didn't want to take it for a drive. He wanted to take it out for a whole day and go fishing out on the lake with him and a bunch of his buddies. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no. And he's looking at me like, you're from another planet. And he's like, what? What if he said he's just learned to drive, even though he's 12, he would like to take it up to Oklahoma for the whole weekend to the lake and and fishing. I live in Tennessee. We could take it to Tennessee and take it out on the river. I'd kind of watch him. I'd chaperone. And he's like, I, he was thinking, hell no, but he was going, no, ma'am, I just couldn't see that. I said, and I looked across at my daughter, and I said, well, that's my boat, and she's mm -hmm. precious, and she's fearfully and wonderfully made, and you know what? When she gets out with another fleet of boats, she can say yes or no, but she goes with the fleet, and she does what the fleet does, and you guys want to go away to a lake house, and before you walked in my door, I didn't even know your name, and you're asking to take my boat. He's like, you got me. He said, you absolutely got me. And I'm like, well, good. I said, because I'm between a rock and a hard place. I don't know you guys. And I know you're prone to party. I know that's what this group does. And I love her. And she wants to run with you. You know? But can I trust you? And so he's like, he sat there like this the rest of the night like, wow. <laughs> so we decided let her go. We decided to let her go and she still lied and cheated did everything she wasn't supposed to do that weekend. That's another story for another day. But we have learned a lot and his mom though came up to me as we were taking pictures for homecoming and go Travis came home and told me what you said. He said you really got, you really taught him something. And so sometimes you know, I don't know what the Lord's going to do with Caitlin. I don't know what the Lord's going to do with Travis but the power of a story is huge. And when you can get them to take their mind off what we're talking about, like why won't you let Caitlin go to homecoming with us, and objectify it, 
it makes it a lot more palatable. So I just encourage you, pray for inspiration, pray for stories, tell your story um, to them, and definitely illustrate with the Bible as much as you can. Um, a little bit about reflective listening. This goes back to the foundation group things. Name it to tame it. There is scientific evidence. It's all in this book all the way through um, everything you'll read on, on child rearing at all. You need to help them put names on their emotions. Olivia, how are you feeling right now? And let's, Are you sad? Are you mad? Draw faces. Let them draw little faces. Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you scared? Naming it calms them down. So in a conflict with your children, when your children are at each other all the time, have them sit back and go, hey, tell me how you feel right now. And you, this takes time. This takes getting down in the floor with them. This takes, hey, can you take a bathroom break? Can you just go to the bathroom and calm down for a minute and then come back when you can talk? It attacks, it, it really a, approaches the amygdala part of their brain that takes them out of the yin-yang of the tug of war and the survival and just makes them center more. Naming it. Put the name on the emotion. Jeannie, um, can I ask you a question about that? Uh -huh. So my eight-year-old, this is his thing. Um, but in that moment, like, he wants nothing to do with having another conversation. He just wants his way. He doesn't want to talk about his feelings. He just wants to, you know, plow through. Fight it out, yeah. So, I mean, what would you do? Just say, like, we're just going to stay here even though it's really bothering you and annoying you that I'm doing this to you. Like, how would you? Sometimes it's not words. I think that's where the, the maybe Sorry. have a journal there. Maybe okay. have um, a notebook, something that he can do. I want you to go throw the ball. I want you to go shoot 100 free shots. Okay. So because something shift. physical, the boy has to shift. And okay. he has to shift off what he wants to something he can do. And then let his heart, they say boys are seven times slower at putting words to their feelings than yeah. women are. So you'll be able to ask your girls pretty much, hey, what's, what's up? And they'll be able to tell you, guys can't do it. It's not until later that night at dinner. So maybe you okay. table it and okay. you go, hey, I'm out. I know you're out of control right now. I know you don't even have words right now. Validate that. I want you to go shoot 100 free throws. I want you to go do 100 push-ups. I want you to go run around the block. So you connect, redirect. I know you're hurting right now. I know you're struggling for control. And that's the first principle in there is connect and redirect. Um, yeah. At what age do you think that they're really able to start to do that? Because my three-year-old boy is like, uh, it's mad, sad, or happy. Or glad. And that's glad, it. sad, mad is all Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, at what age can they really start to expand on that? And it's a developmental thing for sure. I would say three to five. I would say, but it has to be taught. Yeah. It has to be modeled. And you have to almost help them name it. Are you feeling? How are you feeling? Draw faces. Are you angry? Are you mad? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? And you teach them an emotional language because kids don't come out knowing what those feelings are. They can't come out talking, for one, but they don't even have the vocabulary. And so I think for you guys, there's a whole list of emotions that you'll go through. Like if you go through Regen or you go through any recovery ministry at all, you know that page of emotions and they have you circle how you're feeling. You know, so just start that conversation with them. I'm going to talk through some things. And, Mom, I don't really know what apprehensive means. What's apprehensive? And so you'll teach them vocabulary. But what you're doing is in this book, and you'll see they're on the rim. They're on the, I'm not getting my way. That friend hates me. They didn't invite me to my birthday party. They're situational. What you want to do is take them back to the heart, the core of the wheel. Get them back to the hub and help them start to go, wow. And the difference that they'll explain between that is this is what is happening, this is the situation, how they feel about the situation, but this is who I am. I am a good friend. 
and I, I, I do deserve a turn, you know, and, and God loves me, and Mom loves me, and, and I'm not an idiot. They called me an idiot at school, and I slapped them, and, um, but I know I'm not an idiot, so get them back to what they know to be true. I think this is a learned thing. It's not something they're born with, and age, it's all, that's all a matter of the child's emotional development, which you can't chart and you I can't like predict. Just doing that like at four, mm-hmm. like was around when he started doing And is that. he the first one? Because the yeah, first yeah, one boy is. Yeah he's, yeah. yeah, he's my oldest. And he just now is t- starting to like connect the dots mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. But like we had, I don't know if anybody else in here uh, watches Daniel Tiger. Yes, But like yes. Daniel Tiger with emotions has been like awesome. <laughs> and like they have little songs and things that go with it. And I really encourage like other moms to like watch Daniel Tiger too instead of just like setting and forgetting and walking away. Cause there's so many like good little songs and like it's okay to be mad sometimes and all this stuff. And um, what you're saying too about the redirect, I think it was in another breakout session last time that we were kind of talking about that. And one mom has like a little trampoline in her thing she goes go and do 100 jumps and then we'll talk about it and so he does that and so I started kind of doing that with my son um like our house is very small so we have what's called a home run and I'm like okay go go do two home runs as fast as you can and then we'll talk about it yes you know just and he's like oh and you can tell he really doesn't want to and sometimes he's stomping his feet the entire time but after it he's kind of more focused on that he can better verbally he can verbalize yeah Yes. What's, what's going on? And we've yeah. done everything from home runs to just trying to get pillow, you know, when he's, because he has a little brother too, and his brother hit like yes. a pillow or something because they want to get something. Yeah, yeah, they just get pent up. And so I'm like, pent up. Oh, it's totally okay to yeah. get a pillow, like that's fine. Well, but, yeah. and so. we've heard this, you guys heard this way too much, the bounce house. It's the best $200 investment you will make. And send them to the bounce house and just go, I need you out there for 10 minutes and then come back and yeah. let's talk. They need to get it out, and you're teaching them appropriate outlets. Yeah. You know, Especially but then bring it back. And I love what you said. I want to camp on that for a minute about watching TV with your kids. Don't just use TV as the babysitter. If they're watching Caillou or whatever mine used to watch, if they're watching things, kids, and this we'll get to this later, are awesome in observation, horrible in interpretation. Mm-hmm. So you have to help them interpret you know, how things go. So I think that's good. When um, we can name those feelings, like mm-hmm. from watching Daniel Tiger, my two-year-old one day was like, I'm so mad. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't expecting you to say that. Do you try to redirect them or do you just kind of take in what they're feeling? Or like, it's, do you just say, I know you're mad. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. Or do you try to say, you know, instead focus on this or feel this way? Or You just always go deeper. You go, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? I mean, it's it's helping them be introspective, helping them take an inventory, get down to the resents and regrets, get down to what is making them mad, what's making them scared. And what this book has helped give me words for that I didn't have at your stage of the game, Jackie, is to help them learn to tell their own story. And you'll start to identify the lies within that story. Like a kid being left at daycare, they have a beautiful illustration of dropping kid off who's completely flailing and just out of their mind being dropped off at daycare and really helping them walk through that story and helping them interpret your faithfulness you're always going to come back Mm -hmm. and really training their mind to the truth because they want to believe the lie Um, I think you have the conversation and you don't I think we are told so much of our life how we should well you shouldn't feel that way you shouldn't be mad at your brother or you shouldn't expect this we do Mm -hmm. but feelings are not facts 
And so then you just point them back to, hey, well, what's true? true. What's true? And I think you, but let them feel what they feel. I just think we're so stuffed with our emotions, or my generation was. We were told we shouldn't feel that way. I think shouldn't is from the pit of hell. I think just the phrase in and of itself. It's what we should. Well, you should have, blah, blah, blah. Well, if I had done what I should have done, you know, we know that. Um, It's folly and shame to answer before listening. And Jackie, you're hitting on this in a beautiful way. Just hear their heart. You're mad. Well, what's frustrating you right now? You know, what? Help me understand. So listen. One man always seems right. One child will always seem right. The worst mistakes John and I have made have been in making a quick judgment without hearing the other side. Always take time out, hear the other side. Um, Get out. There's a wise words for moms flip chart that I keep in my bathroom. And when I was really confused about a situation, I'd go read through that. Give yourself a time out. Give mom time to think about this. And Susie Ashbaugh and Bill Ashbaugh would go, if you really want mom to arbitrate this, I will, but it's going to mean you're going to do some work. So she would have them draw a picture of what their responsibility was. And then your case, your case, whatever kids were there would get to play judge and jury because we're making this a family thing. We're all going to learn from it. And I think that's really, you know, always hear the other side and then listen twice as much as you talk. Um, did you guys, do you guys know Christy Knuckles? She's got a lullaby album, Be Held, which has songs on it that are food for my soul right now, but one of them is always remember to never forget. Tell your kids stories about themselves all the time. Keep a journal, even if it's just with one phrase. Um, it's at the back of your journal that you're doing your sermon notes or whatever. And now, remember the stories. Mom, tell me a story about me. I get that all the time. Mm-hmm. So have a place where you just write down little one-liners. Have a stack of post-it notes of funny things that happen. Always remember to never forget. And that song, you need to download it, listen to them, because it's about who you are. It's not about what you do. You are a beloved child of God, and sit in that. Um, What fires together, wires together. If they're going to struggle with anxiety, if they're going to struggle with anger, if they're going to struggle with, um, I don't know, just control, whatever, you want them to remember you sitting down and talking that through with them. And it takes time, back to the point. It's messy. It's constant. Expect it. You are training their hearts to kind of know. And and pulling them out of the conflict, sitting down on the ground with them, talking. I mean, I I hear Lindsay's voice when she does this with her kids. It's sweet. It's it's infuriating after 16,000 times. But that's where he's working on patience with you. So, um, awesome in observation, horrible interpretation. God's ways are not our ways. Okay? If you can give your child in a conflict understand life's not fair, it's, there's no reciprocity. I had one mom that I went head-to-head with early that really believed that she taught her girl to do what she did because if, you, if you're kind to others, others will be kind to you. If you give, you're going to get back. And I'm like, uh-uh, that's not the way the world works. It's actually the exact opposite. And so she was setting to me her child up for failure. And we spent one whole Christmas dinner talking about it and she came out of it going, I think that's right. Because I'm like, look, ultimately Jesus got treated the most unfairly in the whole the whole universe. Worst thing that ever happened. He was perfect, and he got crucified. It's, it's not going to work, but God redeemed him. So God can redeem even huge unfairness. Um, don't project you onto God. The way you respond, they will get a lot of their image of God. We will lay their sovereign foundations like we talked about last time, but... Help them separate out, hey, this is what I would want to do in that situation too. But here's God. God is so kind and so faithful in that. 
Um, his ways are not our ways. And so life is not going to make sense to us. These two passages I would memorize for yourself and for your kids. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Set your heart on things above. And then set your mind on you know, things above, not on earthly things. And then Ephesians 4, when you're taking a bath at night is another great time to do that inventory. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by your deceitful desires. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and put on the new self, created to be like Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. When you use bath time as a time to go, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What did you love about today? What did you hate about today? Kind of out with the old, in with the new. And then you put on those fresh jammies. They smell like a million dollars. And go, his mercies are new every morning. It's a new day. You're off with the old, on with the new. Let's try again. Use those kind of sacred moments during the day. Um, you, I really encourage you to read this book. The Car Talks, I've started about midway through elementary with my oldest, making sure I drove all my own carpools, which is crazy insane. My bottom now looks like my car seat. Um, I have a roll around my belly that I know is from driving around all day long and not walking. Um, but those conversations, the walk along the road is the car time. It just is. And so that's the generation we live in. Talk to your kids. Unpack their day. That first 10 minutes when they get in the car is the money. Um, get a Slurpee. Get whatever. Have a banana for them. And just say, hey, tell me. High point, low point. You know, who hurt your heart today? I, I was just thinking about, I knew what you were saying was ringing about, but after all of the gymnasts have come out about that doctor and everything that had been through, a girlfriend wrote a blog, and it now has changed my perspective on listening to my child especially my girl, she has a lot of words. I mean, like, just lots and lots of words. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, come here, listen to this song. Or, you know, like, just, it's just a lot of words. And so, but what she was talking about has, one of the gymnasts had said that she was fearful, right, the, of not saying anything because she thought it was something about her. And one of the paragraphs she said in her um, blog was, but that means we have to listen to a thousand meaningless stories in the in-between years. The years between the time they're placed into our arms and the time they are 11 and 13 and 19 years old. I think our parent listening is an essential way for us to gain ground against the villain of fear. In order for our precious ones to trust us as safe places to receive their not-so-safe stories, we have to endure being present for all these other seemingly long, often drawn-out stories they share. There are all these stories about preschool, playground, quabbles, and thoughts on dinosaurs living in outer space we have to engage in if they're ever going to come with us with the hard stuff. Um, we have to lean into these conversations so that we can hear the one that might point us to something they didn't know how to say, mm -hmm. but are willing to say because they know we won't silence them. Amen. And I well just, said. That is just so, so powerful because sometimes I'm like, this story's going nowhere. <laughs> 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 it's like the more that I practice that and discipline myself to listen to these stories that don't really have a lot of point now when she's a teenager she's going to still talk about it and I'm going to know like that's off something's mm -hmm. off there and know to dig into that I guess. that's so true and you can't you can't see the pattern if you don't hear mm -hmm. you'll start to see pattern recognition the one kid at school that's consistently mm -hmm. hurting them you know or wounding their heart I think that's so good, Shelly. That's so good. Um, 
where the book gets, this is not mine, but you want to sift through the day with your child, what'd you feel today? How'd your body feel today? Well, my ankle kind of hurt. Or, you know, I went into math today and my shoulders started tensing up. You start to see patterns. There are bodies react sometimes before we even know something's wrong with our heart. Images, what'd you see today that struck your interest? What'd you see today? Um, did you have any new images, any new, you know, pictures come across your mind, especially key with phones, if you let your kids have a phone. What, who, whose picture did you see today that surprised you? What'd you learn today? Um, feelings. How did your heart feel today? Did you have any strong feelings today? Were you angry, glad, sad, mad? What made you glad, sad, mad today? And then think. What do you think about it? And this is where the money's made, girls, because it's the interpretation. Okay? My teacher doesn't like me as much because they never call on me. You know, what, how did you interpret that? What did, what did that tell me about yourself? Expose the lie with the truth. This is where you get to what they believe. And um, the phrase that pays, you're going to coin family values, traits, tell me about your day, high point, low point, things that ground and center you. Find phrases that pay. I think um, one of them from this book that's helping me is don't let a state become a trait. You can be mad, but if Olivia's just mad all the time, you don't want her to become just an angry person, right? Mm -hmm. You want to unpack that so that her state of mind doesn't become her character, right? If she's controlling, that's what I hear you say, you don't want that trait of always wanting to dominate to become make her a dominating person. Mm -hmm. And that's where the habit comes in, and you can unpack that. It's not about you. God is great. God is good. Helping them, you know, there's so many things. One of my best things for my high schoolers right now is you're not a number. You're not how much you weigh. You're not your SAT score. You're not the last test grade you got. You're not the win-loss of goals in a game. Um, you're not, we don't do social media yet, although the oldest was sneaking and doing it. We're not how many people like and dislike you. You're not a number. And so test scores, everything, just help reel them back. It's kind of an indicator of how well you did on the test, but it's not you. Back to I feel bad about myself. I didn't score as well as I wanted to. Or I feel great about myself because I scored better than everybody else in the class. Mm -hmm. One leads to pride and one leads to just total, you know, humiliation. You're not a number. You're not that hundred and you're not the fifty. You know? So um, I love you no matter what and so does God. What you're doing is understandable, so you want to seek first to understand, not acceptable. Um, you're talking like you're in charge. My sister-in-law gave me that line. It's beautiful. And most important one is me too. Me too. Let me tell you. Uh, you know, what that happened to me. Let me tell you a story about my day. They want to hear, this is one of the neatest things, they want to hear about our day. They want to hear that we got frustrated, that we barked at somebody in the carpool line, that we, you know, dropped a can of pickles at the grocery store and were so embarrassed. They want to know that you're real. And they, they don't know that. They think you're perfect. Jeannie, can you talk a little more about when we aren't perfect and we mess up and our kids calling our junk what it is, yeah. um, but still maintaining the respect that they're called yes. to do? Mm -hmm. a and that's just a very new thing. Like, my parents, I don't know that they ever apologized or, you know, and so... Can you help talk to that? Like, when's an appropriate time to call mom out? Mm, that's good. Or things like that that that's you've experienced? Um, I, don't, I think I may have given mine way too much leeway in this because I want them to know, first of all, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, mm -hmm. and I've talked about my stuff a lot. They've known my whole story all the way through. The one thing I will tell you, 
is it, they, my oldest, when she did have to start confessing stuff when she was in sixth grade, I asked her, I said, do you, do you think I led you that way by telling you all that stuff? And she's like, no. She's like, but I did know that I could talk to you. And so I think saying I'm wrong and I'm sorry, and it's confrontation. What I hear you saying is holding anybody accountable, especially an authority. Um, I would say the best way to approach mommy is with anybody is with a question and not an accusation. Of, Mom, help me understand why you did this. Help me understand why you're yelling right now. Help me understand. Because um, the guy I'm working for, we're in a lot of conflict resolution at work, but one of the things he does absolutely the best is he doesn't come in with an accusation of like, Mom, you shouldn't have talked to Dad that way. Teach them to ask a question, to probe, to seek to understand before they love you a boom. And go, Mom, you know, why are you so mad at that car in front of us? In not an accusing way, but in a, hey, Mom, help me understand why you were driving so fast on the freeway. You know, isn't it against the law to drive 90 and a 75? You know, it's like, but I do think the appropriate thing to teach them is to teach them to ask a question before they accuse. Um, I think that's something I need to learn how to do with my kids because I tend to pounce very hard. There is a time and a place they don't like to be shamed. Um, publicly, I'm horrible at that because I want to teach all five when I'm teaching one. Mm. Is that helpful at all? Yeah, I think so our response to that too is really important. Like my husband and I were kind of arguing about something and my son was like, hey dad, we, we just read last night a soft answer turns away wrath and if it had been my father, he I think would have been like, you don't talk to your dad that way, that was disrespectful. And my husband was like, thank you for reminding me. I needed to hear that. Like, that's right, buddy. And then it softened me, too. And so I just thought that taught. I was really proud of my husband's response in that because I think it taught my son a lot more seeing his dad. Like, you're right. I need to hear the word of God, too, and mm-hmm. um, be reminded of those things in the moment. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really special it's really time. Good. Yeah. And I do think we just own it and say what I did was understandable but not acceptable. It's not right for me to yell at you. I just think we have to be willing to say I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And and the way we respond when they confront us is ultimately, I think, the way they will respond mm-hmm. to us. But I, I think we justify a lot. I justify a lot of my anger on their, with their irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard because you're tempted to, mine is yelling at my kids, and they'll say, Mommy, you're yelling at me. And Yes, I'm sorry, but but mm-hmm. because you yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so how I'm ending it there? Yes, I'm sorry, but then there also still needs to be a consequence. I mean, maybe like a do-over for me or you well, know, and I, don't I would know. say so. Which part of the weenie am I right now? Yeah. I'm escalating. All right, how can I get to a point of really being encouraging? And I need to take a timeout. The whole mommy timeout. They talk about timeout and the lasting promise. Really being able to to get that flood, that tidal wave, I'm the same way. And do you know what? They feel like I'm yelling at them more so with my eyes and my tongue. It's not even the loudness, it's the intensity. And I feel like I needed to have given myself a lot more timeouts and just said, hey, I need to center, I need to get back in touch with Christ and who I am and then come at this. But I hear you, they do, I get, they do call you. Lindsay, I don't question. know. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that? I have a question about the, the voice. Um, and we just had a really a big morning with this at home. But so I think we, we talk a lot and we hear a lot about softness and gentleness and drawing them in. And I think 
I think there's a middle ground between the softness and the yelling and that sternness of yeah. knowing like mom's in charge you have a boundary. right now and this is a boundary and you're crossing that and I think so where this happened in our house was I he asked me what I had to forgive what I needed to ask for, for forgiveness for this morning because there was a sternness there I was not angry I was not yelling but there was a sternness there and that's not a voice I usually you know I often use and I feel like that's okay but sometimes I, I don't know so I guess my question is 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 there a time that that's okay okay to have a different tone and a sternness to your voice well i would think you know they you see them bear up under all this coaching and under all these other people that are stern with them i just think the mom has such an intimate place in their soul our words weigh more i and yes i absolutely think there's a time and a place for everything and i feel like the lord yells at us sometimes and sometimes he whispers and it's our loving kindness that'll bring him to repentance i think it's the um the overbearing, I tend to be condescending, I tend to shame and blame, I will intimidate. And so that's when you need to unpack with them, was mommy intimidating to you? How did you feel when I used that voice with you? You know, because words have the power of life and death and those who love them will eat their fruit. And I do think I have intimidated my children into behavior and compliance a lot more than I've really just kindly won them over and then delivered a consequence when they didn't. I, um, I do think there's a time and a place. If they're running in the street, it's not going to be sweet. <laughs> so, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is there a time and a place where it's justified? Yeah. I think so. I think so, too. I, I think there is, and I also think it's important, though, to circle back to why you were using that tone and to say, you know, like running the street thing, like, and you know, forget, oh, you shouldn't be yelling at me. Well, I was yelling because I'm trying to keep you safe. And it's because I want to keep you safe that I was yelling. I wasn't yelling at you doing something bad. It's because I want to keep you safe. And kind of explaining more in a softer tone why you were using a, a different yeah. tone. Yeah. Instead of just hearing the tough yeah. tone all the time. And we did that this morning. And the tone doesn't happen often, but it does. It's just he is so, we have a, it's, he's a, it's a boy, it's my oldest, but he's so sensitive that anything outside of really soft and gentle and drawing him crushes his spirit so I just don't you know I just struggle with that balance and we did circle back and talk to him and I, I like get to explain why I use that more of a stern tone but it just at the end of the day his feelings just get crushed with anything other than well, I think when like right now we're doing we're studying Matthew like you can see Jesus talks in different tones you know like there's times when he's firm and stern and there are times when it's more loving and soft and and so I think that you could definitely see evidence for, for that in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it matters like what it was about. Like yeah. it was he was hurting you. And so like just like the street, you're not going into the street. Like this is a firm you will not do this to others because how would you want him to react if someone was doing that to someone else? Mm -hmm. You want him to use a firm voice and be like, No, that's not happening. And so I think that's important. It's an important piece to know, yes. even modeling, if this were to happen and you were in mom's position and someone did this to you, no, you're not doing this. Yeah, right. And I, I believe you're in the right place. Your heart was in the right place. And that happens. I think it's a street similar situation. I do too. Yeah, I would, I would Absolutely not. I mean, he's yeah, doing that negative interpreting. Piece, you know, you could talk about yeah. I mean, you, you, I think you addressed it. Your, your 
your tone, you know, reckless words pierce like a sword, and it doesn't sound like your words were, your heart was in the right place, and it was, it was warranted. Sorry, it's, it's really it's wild to think about. We have kids that can beat us up. I mean, that can really, not just physically, but just beat the daylights out of our hearts. It's hard to know how to respond. Do you have one that's calling you into account in a while? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's both my two oldest. Who's talking just like special. they're in charge. <laughs> I'm doing that Build-A-Bear thing. Yeah, it's doing really that. fun. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. It has helped. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Any other questions you guys have or any, like, and that didn't scratch this itch. Mm-hmm. I think I have a very um, compliant firstborn, and I and I think I struggle with like if I go to discipline, and then my, it, he like just crumbles too. Like I'm the worst son ever. Like it's like whoa whoa whoa. <laughs> like wait a second. Like there's just a lot of that comes crumbling down, and it's it kind of like throws me for a loop because he's. I be, would feel like, well, that didn't take much. But, I mean, I need to get to the discipline portion of it, but we get side-railed of, like, reminding him of the truth of, of his who worth. he is and his worth and who God made him to be and all those things. And But then sometimes it just doesn't get to, like, the, mm-hmm. the issue. But I think sometimes it can, be, <laughs> I think it can be a smoke screen. Mm-hmm. And then it can be a habit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you see a child that completely, like, we have a dear friend, I, we all love and adore her, but every time you confront her, she cries. Mm-hmm. And she cries to the point that you just can't even talk about anything <laughs> yeah, going wrong. You can't really hold her accountable for anything because she just cries the whole time. And you're just like, not worth it. It's not worth it. Now Jeannie's being mean. You know, it's like, okay. But it's, I think at some point in time, outside of conflict uh-huh. moment, or lots of times maybe, yeah. we're going to have to go, now we're going to practice mm-hmm. me telling you that you did right. something wrong. And I want to see you respond in an appropriate way. Because your worth is not dependent on your behavior. Mm-hmm. You're going to screw up. And you probably have a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And you're going right. to screw up. And so can we just own the fact that we're not perfect? Mm-hmm. I need you to write out for me all the days that you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. But God loves me. I did this wrong. But God loves me. Mm-hmm. I did this wrong. My mom thinks I'm the best. I did this wrong. And just rehearse and remember. And do it outside of the conflict so that he has a role playing for how he's going to respond. And then I would start to reward him for actually having the composure to take the correction. It's good. Mm-hmm. You, your logos are still in timeout, but let me tell you, buddy, you handled that well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get some ice cream. You know, mm-hmm. No Legos to play with, but I always reward with food. It tends to work. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know. It's I just good. think you start to, they're never too old to role play. Mm-hmm. I don't think. You can, you can do it any number of ways mm-hmm. on how to respond. But, um, Anything else bubbling up that you're just like, ooh, I don't want to leave because we can email about it or talk about it later. And what about like an unrepentant heart, like a sisterhood brother and doesn't want to say she's sorry, she's been in timeout, had a chance to come say she's sorry, still doesn't want to do it. You know, like, do you just keep the consequence going or is that blaming her and just saying she's sorry when she isn't? Like, I never really know how to handle that. She's not regenerate. Mm-hmm. You're demanding. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I have an unregenerate heart. And right. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're just not. So, do you ask them, do you want to say sorry? And if they say no, then let um, it be. I think, I think you can say, you. they do need to say I'm wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. They do Acknowledge need to own 
to become aware, you made them aware of it, then they need to acknowledge that they were wrong, and then what action are you going to take to make that right? But to make them say, I'm sorry, that's something that only Holy Spirit can bring conviction to that heart. I do stuff all day long that I know is wrong, but I am not the least bit sorry for it. Okay? And so just I just think it's just it's like making people share. To make them say, I'm sorry. And if they are sorry, like our oldest will tell you right now, she's only sorry she got caught. Not sorry for what she did. She actually will tell you it's the most fun she's had all year. Shoot. Oh, yeah. Sat and said that in front of everybody. She's like, yep, that's old. And so I'm like, she's not the leader. But she, I'm not going to make her. Sorry. I can shame her. I can blame her. I can. But I think that's where you can't go. You let the Holy Spirit lead them there and just go, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will show you that you're wrong and will make you sorry. Because the truth is, Olivia, you want it your way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, um, you're not going to have it your way. Like that. That's good advice. I was in Does a, that make sense? I was in a 30-minute long, like, mm-hmm. we're going to say sorry now? And no, I was like, this can't be right. <laughs> and I think, let me know when you're ready. Mm-hmm. It's huge. No, but his kindness leads us to repentance, not demanding. That's, yeah. You know, we can't demand our own way either. And they're unregenerate. You know, I just think, even expecting to work on the Holy Spirit, I'm just like, oh my gosh, if I thought about that. You know, that's, that, give them grace has really helped me a lot with that. Because, you know. I think the saying, I was wrong, is a big one. Instead yes. of just like saying, okay, sorry, and yeah. like, and moving on. Because they have to understand then wrong versus right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of kids can understand, you know, good versus bad, wrong versus right, and saying, you know, wrong versus right. Because I have a two-year-old who just, he just, like, doesn't care. Like, did you bite your brother? Yep. Yep. Okay, go to time out. Okay. And, like, just, like, marches over to time out. And was like, okay, I'll sit here until I'm done. And I'm like, and even, you know, he'll come out and say, it's all right. And, like, he, he's not processing wrong. And I think that's, that's yeah. a good one to bring Well, in, in an unregenerate heart, pain begets pain. And, and I had a biter, and it took me four months with him, and finally really biting him every time he bit somebody. i just bite this kind of little sweet spot of his shoulder, and it broke him. But it took four months of me not being able to check him in child care, mm-hmm. not being able to leave him at chapel school, having to be with him all the time. And he was 18 months to two years, but it took a long He looked like he was going in for a kiss, and he'd bite your sweet little pumpkin right there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Pain begets pain in an unregenerate heart. They only understand pain. Mm-hmm. But is, was there a reason for the biting? Was there? It was just a nothing I could discern at that stage. It just looked like a good idea. Boys, <laughs> <laughs> you'll find it really doesn't have to be a reason. That just looked like a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like He's, my two-year-old, yeah, I'm like, I wanted to. And I'm like, that's not a reason. Right? That was Jay. It was like, why'd you do that? Well, wanted to. I don't even have words. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for suffering through all that.